Welcome to The Leadership Mind. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus. This show is about the stories, assumptions, and perspectives that either create or block our ability to lead. In this podcast, we'll speak with those that are in the arena, the leaders themselves. By trade and training, I'm a leadership coach and facilitator with a relentless curiosity for helping people, teams, and organizations thrive in pursuit of making their vision and purpose a reality. The goal is to bring you new insights, perspectives, and practices to help you lead authentically, navigate your career intentionally, and grow high-performing teams successfully. My hope is that in these episodes, you will witness humility, where we celebrate our failures as much as our successes. Curiosity, where we share wisdom and insights openly. And community, where we grow together. Let's explore the leadership mind. Everybody, welcome to another episode of The Leadership Mind. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus, and today I'm joined by my friend, Mike Busilia. Mike and I met several years ago in a leadership program that I was running, and I always met amazing people, but from time to time, people would really kind of stand out. They'd be the folks that would approach you on breaks or after the workshop was over in the session with great questions and curiosity about how they could continue to apply what they've learned. And Mike just showed up as a tireless learner and somebody who was always hungry to learn and grow and get better and make sure that he was squeezing every ounce of goodness out of the experience that he could. And I've asked him to come on because since then, his journey of continued growth and development has been profound, inspiring to myself, and I hope inspiring to you as well. So Mike, welcome. Thank you, Moss. That is such a a kind introduction. And it's great to hear that from you because I was reflecting on our relationship and how we met. And quite frankly, we haven't spent a lot of time together, but that short amount of time was meaningful. And I felt the same thing about you. I had been through a few different leadership programs in other careers, and they were other in-house programs where, you know, the people were more facilitators. And what I found with you is like, you just came across as genuinely so interested in not only people's growth and what they were getting from the experience, but just who they were. And I think that's why you saw that from me was I kind of fed off of you. And that was just a really engaging session and something that had kept you in the top of my mind uh, as someone who was really special. So I'm glad that we've kept in touch and can have this conversation today. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's very powerful. When you feel seen, it is easy to see the other person. And I try so hard to make sure that people are seen by me so the invitation is extended and hopefully returned. Well, I want to hear about the insights and the transformation and these aha moments that you've had over the last few years. I feel like what's great about your story is there's kind of like a before and after. There's an emergence of who you are and who you're becoming as a leader and as a human. But there was a person before this that was operating with a different set of programming. So let's start there. Like, who were you growing up? What's the backstory of what was kind of your default programming before you made the decision to say, hey, I got some maybe bugs in the system that I want to work out and be very purposeful about? Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, maybe I can foreshadow a little bit here. But, you know, when we decided to do this, you had posted on LinkedIn and, you know, we're curious about people's leadership journey. And I kind of messaged you and said, hey, if you want to hear about battling with imposter syndrome and self-doubt, I'm your guy, right? So I think even as I'm, you know, beginning to tell this story, all those kind of demons are there, right? Which is the way I viewed myself as very kind of benign upbringing, right? Like I listened to your podcast and so many other people have overcome adversity. You know, you had the first female fighter pilot on and things. I look at those and go, well, my story is not interesting. And I think that's a clue to the mindset. So 
my background is I grew up in very firm middle class. Like we didn't have a lot, but we definitely didn't struggle, right? And so everything was kind of like easy, let's say. And then it's easy to slip into that mentality where things are just fine. And then you kind of set what you believe are your limits or what you can achieve based on those surroundings. So I would say mine is a story of trying to not necessarily overcome any great adversity, but climb out of mediocrity, right? Uh, my father's in education. My mother's kind of in administration, wasn't doing secretarial roles. And stuff, but they both worked, right? So you got work ethic from that. I grew up in a very rural area of South Jersey. So I sat between two farms, uh, learned work ethic at a young age. You know, at age 12, I was going up to the farm next to me and doing farm work and labor and moving logs around and, and things like that. So always had a bit of a work ethic, but didn't get exposed to a lot of big thinking and new ideas and, and what the world could really offer until much later in life. My upbringing was your typical thing. Now, my parents are still together. It was a good home. We had good enough income that we were able to do some amount of travel and things like that. But in terms of what I was exposed to, in terms of creativity, business, innovation, there was really none of that. And I had to kind of seek that out as I evolved and had more and more opportunities to, to travel, which I think is a center point of my life. Yeah. So let's talk about this idea of getting out of mediocrity, because I do think that there is a framing of if I haven't suffered enough of, or if I don't come from adversity, then I'm not worthy or I can't empathize with what it means to suffer. And I think we all suffer in different ways, some certainly more than others, but part of the human experience is that of suffering. And there is even suffering in mediocrity or coming to the recognition of what our self-imposed limits are, you know, and our, our kind of our mortality within that. So what was your experience of mediocrity and your relationship to it? You are so excellent at phrasing things and framing things, Moss. That is spot on. So that was one of my biggest challenges was, you know, I'm like, I'm comfortable. I have a good life. I've had a good life. Why do I need to push for anything? Why do I deserve anything more? That, that's kind of this mindset that just sits there. And until you are able to get some space and look at that and see that mindset, you just live in that world because you think that is what the world is and that there are no other options. And I was very much in there without even knowing. What were you defining as enough in that mindset? Was it a certain amount of physical goods and things and a certain kind of level of comfort in life? And it was like, well, I guess I've arrived at this and therefore I'm, I'm cooked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so example, so again, that's why the, the upbringing and kind of what I had examples of matter, right? Because, you know, I had a good job. I ended up in sales you know, making good money through that process, money I never thought that I would be capable of. So I already was like, this is more than I ever expected. So I'm already exceeding what these small and limited expectations for myself were anyway. And so that just led to this, well, I kind of guess this is it, right? Like I'm doing well, doing, you know, better than I thought I would. I got to travel. I've been living in other countries. So I would far surpassed what I was exposed to in terms of uh, what I thought were expectations and limits. Uh, but then I reached this point after trying a few different careers, um, trying some different companies, living in different places where I'm like, it all kind of felt the same. And then I also got exposed because of travel, because of different companies and, you know, working, you know, with people like you, like, oh, there is something else out there. Is it possible for me to achieve that or at least start to learn from these people and these experiences? And I, to your point, I just got very curious about it and then start a, a whole journey we can talk about in terms of really trying to open my mind to other ideas and opportunities. 
Yeah. Can you recall some of those pivotal moments where you started to open up the aperture and say, there is more beyond this definition of mediocrity or this definition of success that I defined and achieved? What were those moments that started to kind of poke holes in that philosophy? Uh, so there was one major one, which really kicked off everything, which is at the company I was working at, we had a leadership offsite and we brought in uh, someone to facilitate that. His name was Mike Duff. And he was the first person to like, instead of going like, here's how you run a sales process and the sales strategy, that's all the stuff we'd get. He was like, here's how you get your mind right. And here's how you can change your mind. And he talked about how the beliefs lead to actions, which lead to results, which beliefs, right? And you talk about this cycle. Like if you believe you're bad at math, you're not going to take any action to improve your math skills. Therefore, you're reinforcing the belief that you're bad at math. And then you stay bad at math. He's like, imagine breaking this cycle. I can be good at math. I'm going to take action to learn math. And I'm going to talk to people who are good at math. And then I'll guess what? I'm good at math. It was just one of those moments where I was like, damn. And then, you know, there was a lot more to that. He also recommended to the group uh, this book called The Brain That Changed Itself. It was about neuroplasticity. So he backed it up with, you know, what I at the time and my limited brain was like foo-foo, self-help nonsense. You can already get from me my defensiveness and my kind of small-mindedness about even just rejecting that type of notion. But it was enough compellingness there to spark the curiosity that I started to kind of look into it. And then knowing there was science backing that the brain can change your neural pathways and how you make decisions and what you believe can be altered, proven through science and proven through all sorts of experiments. I was like, okay, there's something to this. Yeah. What were the beliefs that you had at that time that you wanted to rewire? I didn't even know at that time, right? And that was very, very early. And it's been a very slow kind of maturation of getting to where I've really accelerated on this stuff in the last few years. So at that point, it was generally just like, huh, you can really change your mind. Because I guess the limiting belief I did know at that point was I was in the mindset that you are who you are. That's set from birth. There's no changing that. You've kind of have somewhat of a predetermined destiny on your personality, how you interact with others, you know, what you can get out of life based on who you are. It's genetic fact. And that is what it is. Right. And then I started to realize like, oh, that's not even true. So if that's not true, what else isn't true? And then you can imagine that's a very long process to unwind and start to change things. A long process, a scary process, a process that takes a catalyst at bet the catalyst comes internally. At worst, it comes circumstantially. And then we have to shift. I'm in the middle of watching this show that's based on a book called Station Eleven. Have you heard of this? Yeah, my girlfriend's watching it, but I haven't caught up on it. It's brilliant. Essentially, horrible global pandemic, much, much worse than what we're experiencing. 90% of the population dies and people are forced to completely change their identity. You know, people oh, wow. that, were, that were, were criminals are now doctors. People that were nobodies are now caretakers. They are forced into a place of, you know, reinventing themselves through humanity in the worst possible cases. But nonetheless, those people that choose to persevere, they can evolve, they can transform and become something completely different and find, you know, a new chapter, a new starting place for their life. That's an extreme case, Mike, but so much of your story is about that. And yet for you, it came from an internal will and curiosity to do that, which is so beautiful about your story. Well, and honestly, Moss, I think it's been a combination. So to your point, I think more recently, a big catalyst was partly it came about because of my curiosity, but also circumstantial, right? So, you know, I joined a startup. Uh, something I'd never done before, really out of this process and saying like, what am I capable of? And, you know, it was really, I knew it was outside my comfort zone. And I was like, I got to do this because like, I don't know what it's going to entail. And I don't know 
how I'm going to react to it. And my reaction was not good at first, to be perfectly honest. I, I felt completely overwhelmed for the first time in my life with the amount of responsibility. Grant, now, just to add to this, I took the job in January of 2020. Uh, the job is with a company that services the travel and, and airline industry. And then global pandemic hits in March 2020. That just totally fueled this, this level of anxiety that I had never felt. When I thought of getting out of my comfort zone, I thought it'd be like a mild discomfort, like a little bit of a learning process. And this was like, where'd the floor go, right? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm floating here, right? And it was just, I'd never at least been aware of that little like kind of anxiousness and unknown and uncertainty. And I didn't handle it well. Like I was really in basically a state of panic and not feel good. And that accelerated, like, I have to fix this. I have to find solutions. I'm very proud of myself in taking that angle, right? Because I think a lot of people, you know, could have taken any other avenues, right? You drink more, right? You quit, you you just find something else that's back into the safety zone. And I really did my best to lean into it, get curious, figure out what was going on in my mind. Because I knew it was a mind thing, right? I was aware enough that it was all happening in my mind, but I could not stop it from just worst case scenario type stuff. Yeah. Was there a catalytic moment or a rock bottom moment in that anxiety and uncertainty that pushed you over the edge or what kind of shifted for you in that, that set you on this path versus the other paths that you just mentioned? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that I ever felt a true rock bottom. I just didn't feel good. Like I am naturally pretty positive, right? I definitely have my moments. I, I could get angry easily and stuff like that, but generally oriented to quite happy, easygoing, but I just did not feel good. I didn't feel good about myself, but that, that's simply it, right? Like I said, imposter syndrome, am I good enough to do this job? Am I doing a good enough job? Are we going to survive and get through this? You know, self-doubt, like, am I doing the right things? Is it enough? <laughs> All these things were just so heavy weight. And so it didn't feel like I'm at rock bottom, but it just didn't feel myself and feel good. And, and I knew there was a way to change it. I just didn't know how. And so I started, you know, looking for different answers and found a lot of answers that kind of brought together and helped me call out of that to the point where I'm feeling now just good in the position, good about myself. I know so much more about myself, which is really a big confidence boost and something that just makes me really happy just to be more calm and comfortable with myself. And to love yourself. Yes. Yeah. Which is, I know a big one for you, this self-compassion. It's hard to convey like really my upbringing and just the macho aspect of just totally denying and dejecting anyone that would even talk about this or think about this too. Or I'm just like, I love myself and I tell myself that. And it's like this evolution of coming through that mind block and that mindset of that's all bullshit to adopting it wholly, right? But it's so critical. I know you're such a proponent of it and I just want to emphasize you are doing the right work and I hope more people can get over that mental barrier of thinking it's odd or not mainstream. I mean, we're all wired that way. In Western culture, we all are looking at like, I'm going to work harder if I'm harder on myself, mm -hmm. if I compare myself to the people and they're effective to a point. But then once you yes. experience the other side of it, you're like, well, why would I ever go back to that? Because I can be so much more effective and happier and more yes. it from this other place. And it's not soft at all. In fact, it takes a tremendous amount of work. It's harder to do this. It's a lot easier to fall back on those old habits of, you know, social comparison and beating ourselves up. And for us, this is the thing I've said to my girlfriend is like, you know, I started getting a meditation. I started to kind of observe my thoughts. And I also went through this positive intelligence program, which really doubles down on that. They have this concept of the judge and seeing what the judge is saying about you. And I spent all this time observing. And what I noticed is we in an everyday life, the average person, as you're saying, 
has no problem listening to this inner voice constantly beat you up, tell you bad things, tell you things aren't going to work out, tell you you're not good enough, tell you, you know, things are going to be a struggle, things are hard, you know, whatever it may be. And we are all happy listening to that voice and find it totally normal. And no one talks shit about that. And no one like puts that down. It's like, we're happy living there. But for some reason, society, most people think it's odd that you would tell yourself something positive. You're talking to yourself anyway. We all know it. If you think about it for 10 seconds, you're going to know, like, yeah, I have this inner voice. I talk to myself all day long. And most of it is not good. Why would we find it strange or put it down in any way or find it you know, weird that you would tell yourself good things? Like now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, well, that's the most bizarre thing is what we normally do to ourselves all day long and to your point now that you know i've seen both sides i'm like the other way is crazy to me you know it's crazy and it's a relationship when we don't frame it this way but essentially we have a relationship with ourselves and a relationship with others if we spoke to other people the way that we spoke to ourselves when we're beating ourselves up we would have no friends our family wouldn't want to be around us so we know not to do that in that context and yet we treat ourselves differently And I think at its core, when I think about self-compassion, it is treating yourself as you would those that you love in your life, which you do naturally, which you do openly, because you know it's the right thing to do because you love them. It's because you want to do. But we don't get that in the way that we're brought up and what we observe in each other. And the fight or flight response, I think, naturally takes us to a place of being self-protective. And that's where all of that language comes from. I want to protect you. I want to protect you. And there's another way to be protective, too, and it's to be loving and compassionate to oneself. You hit it spot on. Like we are just conditioned and taught that the only way to stay safe is put up these defenses, keep things small, stay in this comfort zone, and then you'll be safe, right? And that may be true to a degree, but you're preventing and blocking yourself from so many other joys in life and also just feeling good about yourself in the process. So it's a very interesting dynamic. It is clearly, it's not individual. It is human nature, right? And so I am hopeful through people like you doing this work, Maybe it's just because I'm so oriented to know now, but it does feel like it is becoming a little bit more mainstream, a little bit normalized to look at meditation, to look at how your mind works, to talk about mental health, to be more positive, to see where people are struggling from depression or imposter syndrome or anything that is like this negative weight. Uh, I am hopeful that this trend continues and people do the work because it is work, right? It requires effort and it's hard and it's scary. You mentioned those words earlier on, right? But I'm hopeful that it continues to progress and people realize there is another way to get the same and better result, you know, in your life. Well, it's through people like you, Mike, doing the work and sharing your story that bring other people along and people do it in their own time. And there is a whole dimension of shame and and all of the brilliant work that Brene Brown has done around shame that is associated with this, that holds us back. And as you said at the top of this conversation, being stuck in this paradigm of mediocrity, that's what the negative self-talk and our, you know, initial kind of program model is going to get us to. It'll allow you to maybe thrive in mediocrity, but it will yes. never push you beyond that. And mediocrity is based on, I want to stay safe and secure and supported in this model, as opposed to looking out. So you talked about positive intelligence. You've talked about mindfulness. I also know that you went through a silent retreat. And yes, about that was that was kind of like a big catalytic moment for you to really push yourself into this new way of thinking and being and rewiring your brain. Yeah, this is the thing that helped me so much that there were so many people talking about their experiences with self-doubt, with imposter syndrome, the very correlated, right? It's all relates to some fear and some belief that you're not good enough or whatever, right? You get down to the core. 
So I knew that this was, again, all in the mind and that these concepts were there. And this concept of fear really stuck out for me. And it's like, I've got to attack fear. I've got to lean into this. I can't run from it. When I boil it down, I was afraid of what was going on in my mind. Like, I was afraid to look at this stuff. And so what was the biggest way I could lean into it was to go sit for 10 days with no distractions, no talking, no nothing. And it's just there. So I was like, I can't think of anything scarier to then just sit with your mind with something I would... I never paid attention to my thoughts. You know, I just went on through the day blindly, emotions come up, you know, I manage them or mismanage them, however you want to put it. And, you know, sitting with my mind and really kind of, well, what are my fears? What are my doubts? Where does this stem from? What's going on? And just letting it all surface was very scary to me. So I was like, okay, guess that means I got to do it, <laughs> you know? You know, to put this in context for people that are listening, if you had never gone skiing before, or maybe you hadn't, it was only on the bunny slope. What you did is you went from the bunny slope to the most extreme backcountry, steep and deep skiing. There was nothing in between. To go on a 10 day silent retreat from practicing some mindfulness and reading some different books is a significant leap. And it is a forcing function to say, yes, I want to explore these fears and these thoughts, but it's one thing to say, I'm going to do that for an afternoon. It's another <laughs> thing to say, I'm going to shut off everything else in my life for 10 days and sit with that. So yeah. first, I just want to commend you for the tremendous bravery to do that. And for the commitment to yourself to do it. Was that decision hard to come to? In a way, yes, because it was scary, right? It was like, what am I going to discover through this process? Is it going to be hard? Am I going to want to give up? Uh, you know, is you know, literally, I thought, like, is there some deep-rooted thing wrong with me that might come up? You know, like that. I think that was a illogical, ill-placed thing, but you don't know, really, right? So, like I said, my upbringing was very kind of modest and safe, so I didn't like believe there was any like deep trauma or anything. But you know, I was also kind of curious, like, is there, right? Like, I don't know, and that not knowing was like, wow, very scary to see. Like, I had no idea. I legitimately, intentionally did not read anything about people's experiences with this. I read a little bit about what it entails. And I think actually the course I did purposefully leaves out a lot of details, but I was like, there's no way my experience will be the same as anyone else's. So there's really no point. And I didn't want to get into that trap of, I have some goal or expectation with this. My only thing was, I have no idea what's going to happen and I got to find out. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of a difficult decision in so much as it was scary, but you know, I'm very grateful to the company I'm working at and my partner like gave me the time to do it. So there wasn't that extra burden of like, oh, it's impossible to take 10 days off and this kind of thing. And I was kind of like, I was very fortunate to be able to make that happen. So that was an element of friction or another place that would make it you know, seem like an excuse not to do it. So I think I was a bit fortunate on that side. Without giving away any of the trade secrets in the process, can you talk about what that 10 day experience was like, what you found for yourself and, you know, what were some of the surprises? Yep. So the biggest revelation to me was it just totally confirmed for me experientially that everything happens in the mind. So basically what they're helping you discover is that you're eliminating all the outside world. There's no news media. There's no work coming in. There's no family, right? It's just you sitting there. And what they were saying is just observe your body. What is happening? What is your body? Do you, are you itchy? Are you cold? Whatever. And then notice how that kicks off a thought pattern in your brain. So it's that mind-body connection. So they talk about different types of knowledge. So they talk about the knowledge that is imparted. So Moss, you tell me something and now I have some of your wisdom. There is what you read. So I pick up a book, I learn something. And then this was experiential knowledge. This is 
something so internal, you can't be said or read it. You have to just experience it. And experiencing, oh my God, my foot itches. And now I'm thinking about something that's bothering me. And just realizing like it's all in this internal unit. Like we want to blame the news. We want to blame the pandemic. We want to blame all these things for how we feel and our reactions and our thought patterns. And it was so internally obvious that that is not the case. It is us reaction to what is going on in our body and what's going on in our mind. And then the ability to find some calmness within that. It's a few days kind of just understanding that association. And then the rest of the time is letting it settle. And then the whole idea is let these sensations that you're getting from outside factors, you know, whatever heat and cold to these internal sensations within the body, how they set the mind off. And then like just noticing those connections and kind of evening them out, they come, they go. So they have this other big concept that I really like that I really took away from them is impermanence. Absolutely nothing is fixed. Everything is changing your cells, your DNA, the air, everything is molecules just changing all the time. So whatever you are feeling in this moment will pass, it will change, it will evolve, it will be different. And there's big things in life that take time, but they are still micro changes and evolving to a point where it will settle as well. And so these were just concepts I had no clue about. And again, if, if you had told me about them, like I'm trying to tell you, okay, interesting, but to experience, to sit there and feel it. And then, you know, it's real is a whole nother level. Yeah. To internalize it and make it your own experience is very different than the imparted knowledge. How have you taken impermanence and this mind body connection back into your work life and your personal life and your leadership? Yeah. So I think there's two, maybe three aspects of it. So number one, through sitting there and letting this mind process and understanding how my mind's reacting to external factors and sensations, I did get to a level where I could sit still. Like I don't sit still, Masra. You can probably maybe hear I'm like energetic guy. I'm like moving, I'm fidgety. I got to the point where I could sit still for at least an hour. And that was revolutionary. I'm like, holy shit. Like for instance, if I'm watching Netflix in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm chill, right? I'm chilling out and watching Netflix. But meanwhile, like I'm fidgeting my leg. I'm like on my phone, right? Like I'm doing a bunch of things. I'm not settled. I'm not calm. So just getting that baseline of what calm really means is like, okay, now I have a gauge that's reset to a good baseline of am I calm or not? So I know if I'm really settled or not, and I've got this better internal gauge. Then on the impermanent side, as a broader kind of life view, you know, anything you're going through, you just got this understanding, a deeper understanding that, hey, this is going to change as well. I don't have to get too wound up about this. I know things will change or evolve. And as long as I keep the right mindset, they will evolve for the better. And if something's really hard, I can process it and get through it, right? And then I think the third thing from a leadership standpoint is just understanding that everyone else is going through this (laughs) and just honestly having a little bit of more extra human empathy and compassion. To be able to empathize with people that have this baseline awareness or to understand what suffering they might be going through. Are you able to impart this on other people and share this? I understand not the experience, but have you been able to share what you've learned with others? Or do you think that maybe people have just observed how you've been different and in some way that's been imparted on them? The latter, for sure. A lot of people, because of my circle of friends and who I am and how I am, like they were like, what the hell? You you went and did this? Like, it's so... (laughs) not my persona, right? So of course I got like, what the hell made you do that? What the hell happened? Why did you do it? What happened? Right. And so 
of course, I, I share things like this, but I'm not going around telling people to do this or, or trying, like, it just wouldn't make sense because to your point, no one could have told me to do this, right? Like, you have to get there on your own. You, you said it earlier, right? No, I'm not doing that. But what I am trying to do is just take those lessons I learned, be calmer, be more compassionate to myself, to others. And then hopefully that they just get that, as you said, if they felt seen by me, then they can feel seen and be able to open up a little bit more. So I hope it's the latter and must, this is not something that's done. I got more work I want to do and more work I need to do. So, you know, it keeps evolving. We all do, you know, there is no finish line when it comes to this, you know, there's the finality, but there is a finish line every day presents an opportunity to practice and get better. As you say, it's the impermanence of it is what creates every day is that opportunity. What are you doing today when you think about all these different experiences that you've had, the wisdom that you've gained, the self-knowledge that you have now, what are some of your practices that you either do on a daily or a weekly basis to keep this alive for yourself? Well, this is the most interesting thing. And quite frankly, one of the things I still got this little thing in my mind, I'm kind of embarrassed because I would have totally shit on anyone doing this prior to experiencing it myself. But I have an app called I Am, and it's something that gives just affirmations throughout the day. I also listen to affirmations. And the reason I'm doing that, Moss, is I feel like I've done a good job. There's still more work to do of recognizing the negative thought patterns and eliminating thought patterns. I can stop those from becoming a spiral where it just takes hold and gets deeper. I can doing a better job of kind of cutting those off as they happen. And now what I'm really working on is replacing those with only good things, good things about the world, good things about myself things that build confidence, things that build positivity, things that contribute to happiness versus weighing and negativity. And again, I think of it as thought and mind training, right? Like we don't criticize people for going to the gym and lifting weights. Like why would we look at it as an odd behavior to, you know, build your mind up in a positive way? So this is a habit now that, you know, I've been doing this for a good two months and I can't see myself stopping. You know, I just think it's good to be surrounded by positive affirmations rather than the, the rest of the world will fill your day with all sorts of negativity and time sucks and, and everything else. So why not combat or at least balance it with some positive information? I'm not familiar with this app. So it just reminds you, it kind of pings you throughout the day and you look at it and it has some affirmation that's been self-populated or or do you write the affirmations yourself? You might be able to, it couldn't be any more basic, Moss. So just think of it like every time you got a Facebook ping, instead of getting like some notification or some media news alert, you're just getting a thing that says, you're great. You bring positivity to the world. You can do whatever you set your mind to. And it's just these things that come up. You're just like, it's just like this little moment of like, whatever you might be in, it just pulls you out of that and goes, yeah, that's right. Like things are great. I'm doing well. I can do more. I can be better. I am better, right? It's just super cool for me. And and it's so simple, right? And it's just a notification. That's all it is. You can do some other stuff with it, right? And you can favorite things and it'll kind of have a little bit of a learning algorithm, I think, to kind of surface some of the stuff that it might develop. But basically, it's just very simple. It comes up in your notifications. And instead of getting these notifications of Omicron's making things worse and we're in a deficit and, you know, we're hitting the next financial crisis, it's like, they're great. Everything's great. Remember gratitude. Practice your gratitude. Think of things, something to be grateful for, right? And it's like, that's the kind of thing I want popping up in my newsfeed in my mind versus any of the other junk. 
Yes, you are what you eat. You are what you consume. And you mentioned this non-judgment before from positive intelligence. I have a mantra that is don't judge yourself, don't judge others, and don't judge the process. The process being anything that's happening, the situation, the circumstances. And I too have been overly critical of any of these things. Affirmations, that's for you know people that are weak. I don't need that or whatever it might be. And recognizing that you really can't knock these things until you try them. And it may not work for everybody. Affirmations may not. Might you know meditation. You may not, but to try these things, similarly to your metaphor about going to the gym, some people might not like running on a treadmill. They prefer to run outside. Right. There isn't a one size fits all, but I think what we're talking about here is encouraging people to try out these different things and figure out what are the different practices that help to strengthen your mind so that you can view the world from a more positive place. And most essentially, so that you can practice gratitude and appreciation for yourself and for others, because that is where we come from a place of acknowledging what is in control of the stories we tell ourselves, right? Which is yeah. the mind piece that you were talking about before. A hundred percent. That is like, why wouldn't I want to tell myself good stories all the time? We live out the reality of the narratives in our heads, right? We all are living in our own reality because we are all experiencing the world from a different perspective with different experiences, with different mind-body connections. And we're all running a narrative. Like it doesn't really take hours of meditation to see that. You can just look at what your mind is doing for 10 minutes and you will see you're just constantly thinking thoughts and telling yourself stories. So if those stories are positive and they're uplifting and they're saying you can do more, guess what? You will. If they're limiting and they're negative and they're draining and they're tiring, guess what? You're going to go into a box and you're going to try to stay there so that you don't get uncomfortable and you don't push beyond what these things are telling you. Absolutely. Mike, you have been so generous with your time and I appreciate you sharing your experience, the wisdom from this, but also just the invitation for other people that this is the type of thing that is available to anyone should they have the curiosity and the courage to do it. My last question for you, are there any books or resources that you have found we haven't talked about that have been really beneficial to you that you would recommend people listening to check out? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, I talked about it. So the brain that changes itself, there's actually, I think, a documentary on Amazon. It's pure science based there's experiments, but it talks about neuroplasticity and just how the brain can change neural pathways, right? And that effectively means you can change your mind about anything. There's also, you know, so I mentioned positive intelligence that comes with a program that has been game changing for me. I think it would be remiss not to mention that I've been working with a coach. I know that's your arena as well. So again, if I can do that analogy, that is something, again, I, like you said, I would have been totally against like, what do you need to coach? Figure shit out for yourself. That's not the way to get ahead. That's, you know, weak or whatever kind of mentality there was. But again, why do we think like that? Or why did I think like that? When we look at NFL teams or any professional sports, they have a coach, right? They need someone to kind of pull them together, have a sounding board, strategize with, et cetera. You're, you know, looking at rising all tides, you're bringing other coaches into this forum podcast. So I think that's great. And another book that has just been super impactful for me, I've listened to it, I think six times now on Audible is called The How. And it is a writer's experience of everything we talked about, basically. I think she kind of had some experience with depression, but she basically just talks through and writes out like her experience of life. And it is what we all experience. And I think she just does a fantastic job narrating, fantastic job breaking things down and also talking about practices like gratitude and other things you can do that are very simple on a just routine basis to kind of break this habit pattern that we all get brought up in. And lastly, what's the name of the retreat that you went on? Should people want to look into that? It was the Pasana retreat and it was done by dhamma.org. It is 100% free. 
it thrives off of donations. So there, there's no kind of commercial aspect to this. It is very basic. It, it's not a corporate retreat. It's not, you know, they, there are some that offer, you know, you pay thousands of dollars and you're living in great comfort. This is free, but it's still very well done. The amenities are good enough for sure. But yeah, they do them all over the country and all over the, the world. Fantastic. And where can people reach out to you, Mike, should they want to learn more about your story or connect with you online? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best. It's Mike Busilia. I think I'm probably the only one out there with with that name. So hopefully they can get the spelling in there. I have nothing to promote in, in this arena, right? Uh, I just appreciate Masu letting me do this. It's actually very helpful for me to, to share the story. It's not something I've been that vocal about, but I, I want to give back because I got so much benefit from other people doing this. And I, I got to this place through a lot of work that I feel comfortable and confident talking about it. I thank you very, very much for inspiring me and giving me this opportunity to share it. And hopefully it helps people. Oh, well, right back at you. I'm humbled and appreciative by your vulnerability and you sharing the gift of this experience with others. I believe that's a gift in itself. So thank you very much. Awesome, Moss. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Leadership Mind. Remember, the mind is the connection between our being and doing, our intent and our actions. Make sure to visit our website, MassimoBacchus.com, where you can like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple, so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found the episode valuable, please rate the podcast on your preferred platform or share it with your community. Until next week, remember to lead with compassion, curiosity, and gratitude. Great leadership is a gift.